I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Abe's mission and assassination. Biden's sells America's precious strategic oil reserve to China. Climate change alarmists let them eat bugs. And Wisconsin Supreme Court ballot boxes are unconstitutional. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Hello again to and welcome to America. Can we talk into today's first five? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Very sorry for the late start today. Just a little busy. Okay, so I want to talk about the first five today. Uh, the really uh, breathtaking and shocking to the world assassination of Shinzo Abe, who was a former prime minister in Japan. And um, I want to just share briefly about him because I know this show is about America and about saving America. But Shinzo Abe was a leader very similar in mindset to Donald Trump with respect to the idea that the purpose of the leader of a nation, he was prime minister of Japan, the purpose is to protect your people, your country, your economy, your people's well-being. He was very, very dedicated to the well-being of the people of China. Excuse me, of Japan. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, my China point. So uh, Prime Minister Abe, who was prime minister in Japan and uh, had stepped down, was retired, but still very active politically, giving a political speech last Friday uh, and was just shot in broad daylight by someone in the crowd um, and died very shortly thereafter. And the reason I would say he's a lot like Donald Trump is what I said a moment ago, which was that they both had the notion that when you are the leader of a country, your job is to protect the well-being of the citizens of your country, to look at issues based on what will protect this country. And that is, it's a nation-state idea, which um, it, it, as we live in this world now, 2022, with many people kind of siding with the globalists, the socialists, the World Economic Forum, we're smarter than everybody else crowd, uh, nation-state defense and the articulation of a national identity is talked about and the media is kind of antiquated, you know, a little bit out of it. That's not how we do things anymore. But actually, my friends, it's the only way to keep peace in the world, the only way to secure freedom for the American people and others. But back to Prime Minister Abe, among the things he did that were so extraordinary <clears throat> was that he identified the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, the country of China, and the ideology of communism as dangerous to the world and to his country. He recognized that part of his job as prime minister would be to protect the people of Japan from the CCP's agenda. And this obviously enraged and angered uh, communists in China and other places who just, because, and to be clear, Abe was recognizing what many experts in America and around the world have recognized, which is that China has the goal of world domination. The Chinese Communist Party not only believes in the spread of communism by force, duplicity, and otherwise, 
but they also believe they are destined, they, the Chinese people, uh, due to an ancient Chinese doctrine, which uh, they still embrace today, the idea that the Chinese people were intended by heaven, their term, by heaven, to rule the world. And so Shinzo Abe and his governance in Japan recognized, you know, China is a problem. China has, uh, you know, un unhealthy and, and dangerous motives with respect to world domination. And so he was basically more the, you know, don't give him an inch kind of thinker. And he was trying to shore up the people of Japan, their economy, in a whole bunch of ways. I won't go into all of them, but one of them had to do with the idea um, that in excuse me, um, that in Japan, um, he was trying to say, you know, we have to emerge again after the, you know, they, they were, Japan was humiliated at the end of World War II, as they well deserved to be, um, and, and they were, you know, brought down, they were defeated by the um, good guys, by the Americans and the uh, Western powers, and part of the changes that occurred in Japan were, you know, to kind of punish them and, and treat them as a, you know, don't get out of control again. He was among the people, the leaders in Japan, Shinzo Abe, the notion that we've got to emerge again as a strong um, nation state, uh, that Japanese people are very, uh, and, and they are, this is something they would say is a good thing. It's kind of an insular society. Uh, there's a lot of uh, homogeneity. They're, the Japanese people are unique by history and, and view their country as, as a, a country for the Japanese people. And so they're very protective of their country and not having uh, ideologies, including they're, they're very defensive against permitting uh, Islamic, the, the Islamic faith to grow through refugees or otherwise within Japan because they see the problems haven't been caused in Western Europe by massive Islamic immigration. They have the notion to protect their country. So when Abe was um, assassinated, I will tell you as a kind of personal note, um, I happen to know a woman who um, grew up in Japan. Uh, she's a... Uh, very connected, very high levels of the Japanese government, but she grew up in Japan and spent a year in America in, in, uh, in education. It took a year of classes in America. I happened to get her to know her at that time. Uh, I'm not, we're not close friends, but we stayed in touch over the years. And so when I saw this assassination occurred, I kind of assumed that it was political in nature. This was somebody you know, reaching out um, on behalf of the communist ideology or defending the communist Chinese Communist Party, uh, getting infiltrating in Japan um, and um, and taking down and, and killing Abe. And so I, I sent this woman, I mentioned a note um, online, just said, hey, is there any chance you can come on my show and talk about, you know, what would have caused this to occur? What are the, what are the dynamics going on there? You know, what's the reaction of the Japanese people? And her note back was so tender. She basically just said, I, I can't even stand to talk about it. I, and she, you know, the, the country sees Abe as kind of a revered leader, someone who stood for the people, stood with the people, and she just said, I, I can't stand to talk about it. So she will not be joining us, but just that, and I know with the connections that she has within very high levels in Japan, um, I said, or anybody else that you could get, but she just said, no, pe people can't even stand to talk about it. So I think the funeral's tomorrow. Um, I wanted to give that tribute to, um, to uh, Shinzo Abe, not just because he was a great leader, but because he shared the traits that Donald Trump has shown and other patriots, which are in this era of the push toward globalism, push toward global government, push to the World Economic Forum agenda, you know, push to the whole New World Order idea. 
Someone who says, no, my country matters, our identity as a nation matters, and we're not submitting to this new world order garbage, and we're not submitting to the pressing of the Chinese communist ideology. We're standing up for our people. So I have a few quick pictures I sent to Joe. I wanted to show you what Chinzo Abe looked like. Um, that was that, that is he. Um, and then he also had a great um, relationship with uh, President Donald Trump. When Trump was president, yeah, there you go. When uh, Trump uh, was president, they, they uh, actually connected quite early in Trump's administration. They went golfing together here in America and I think also in Japan. Um, they really... They, they were the leaders who recognized each of them had the goal and the mission of protecting their country. And, um, and so they did. And that's how they spoke and that's how they acted in this world where the trendy thing is, of course, just submit to the globalists, submit to the world economic forum types, um, and, let, you know, and, and let country and national identity go. These two people said, no, not doing that. So great tribute to him, um, Chinzo Abe. And I, the funeral, I understand, is tomorrow. Closed, a small number of people there. Um, and I know Donald Trump uh, asked for uh, in, or made a request for an invitation to attend. I don't know if he's going to attend or not, but um, I really think Chinzo Abe, I mean, all these praises came in from around the world about him. Um, and, you know, which is wonderful. Um, I think, though, that recognizing what he stood for in this time, uh, at this era in history, uh, is really consequential. The same way, I think, in the future, if we manage to hold on to America, the sovereign, the unique, the extraordinary, and the great, and the precious. People look back at Donald Trump and say, wow, there was a guy who stood up for what America is and is supposed to be, as opposed to uh, he who occupies uh, the White House at this time, um, who is doing just the opposite, and which is the topic of our next segment. But that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So I wanted to mention, um, before I get into this, um, talking about that, um, I, I, I hate to call him President Biden, but he, the, uh, he who occupies 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, Joe Biden, um, has engaged in the sale of oil to um, Chinese interests. And again, going back to thinking what Shinzo Abe said, you know, he saw China, the CCP, and communist ideology as a threat to Japan, and he was going to stand up against it. And Donald Trump saw the CCP, the Chinese Communist Agenda, um, and Chinese and the ideology of communism. You know, Trump's one of the most famous moment, uh, moments in his presidency, um, among many, uh, was when he gave his State of the Union address. I think it was the first one, maybe it was the second one. Looked right at Bernie Sanders and said, "This will never be a socialist nation." Uh, it was a it was a statement of strength by Donald Trump, saying, "I know what America is, and we are not a nation who's going to go socialist and communist." Not happening. Before I dive into time of what, what Joe Biden did um, with respect to oil, I want to um, mention, first of all, to our radio listeners, um, I'm very grateful the show was picked up by Brightian Radio. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to the show on radio, please know at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes after the hour, and again, near the end of the hour, at three minutes before the top of the hour, your station will go off to ads and station identification. Uh, please know we are rocking, rolling on, so if you get to that bottom of the hour, a little break, don't go away. I'll still be here talking. Um, and I love on Mondays, I always call them, I used to call them deep dive Mondays. I forget to say that, but I love diving into topics a little more deeply on Mondays when I don't have guests. Um, I actually I always have a guest on Thursdays, but I don't always have guests during the week And because I, I want to talk with you myself about the issues that I'm concerned about um, and care very much about. So uh, I want to talk about Biden um, selling oil from the strategic oil reserves. And part of what I wanted to say about that is, you know, you have to kind of put these things in context. So we in America have, um, you know, people around the country complaining, uh, and complaining isn't the right word, 
lamenting the extremely high price of gasoline. And there was this, you know, I mentioned, I think last week on July 4th, there was something like 30% of Americans changed their July 4th plans because of the cost of gasoline. I mean, this is a real, you know, hit home, you know, heart that hit the family and the, and the American people problem that our gas prices are so high. And we had, you know, Joe Biden took office in 2020 and the very first day uh, did everything he could to freeze and destroy America's energy production. Unless, of course, you're talking about solar and wind, in which case he was happy with that. But I'm telling you about this because um, there's a... Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to mention really quickly interrupt and tell uh, my happy producer that appears that the show is not working on the website. I don't know if you got that rolling there, but you can get a, a check. Um, anyway, back to, to you folks. Um, I think there's a, um, on, on the radio, radio people, yeah, do, do come back after that. And then um, back to this whole uh, situation with Joe Biden and, um, and selling oil to China. Against the backdrop, against the backdrop, um, of having the uh, oil prices so high in this country, gasoline prices so high that people are changing their family plans, people are lamenting they can't afford to drive to work. They're, they're lamenting well they, they can buy, you know, as the, the Democrats always like to say, you know, because I buy a, a gallon of milk, a gallon of gas. I mean, people are very, very concerned about gas prices. And every step the Biden administration has taken along the way with respect to energy production in America, always, 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 always targeting the taking down of the, um, uh, the uh, removal of or hindrance of energy production in America, uh, blaming the oil companies where uh, President Biden got famously humiliated by writing a ridiculous letter to the oil companies, uh, which was, you know, smacked down by many of them. I don't know how detailed a coverage I did in this show. I can talk about that more. Uh, then he tried to blame the gas station, gas station owners. I mean, this is a guy who cannot, Joe Biden cannot take responsibility for his own actions, but his policies are driving up gasoline prices. And everyone paying attention understands this. You know, when he announced we're not going to do the uh, oil production uh, in Alaska any longer, and in and that area of the world, he announced no new oil exploration in the Atlantic or the Pacific Ocean. Um, he is doing everything he can to crush fossil fuel production. Everything he can think of is what he's doing to crush fossil fuel production. So this is a guy who's, you know, making it harder for Americans to live their lives and certainly live their lives with freedom. And I want to make a huge point about that. Um, the idea in America that the government engages in policies that make gasoline too expensive for the common person changes the way you live your life. This is not primarily a money issue and not even primarily an energy issue. It is a freedom issue. If the government engages in policies which make it impossible for you or very difficult for the average American to travel freely, it's a freedom issue first and foremost. And it's important to understand that's exactly what the Biden administration intends they intend to make this a freedom issue. They want us it to be a freedom issue. They want to have the American people less freely able to travel. This is a bring the people into submission policy that the American left is all about and that Biden's all about. So back to what he did. So Biden sold oil from the emergency reserves to China, to a China gas giant. In particular, the one he sold it to um, is one in which the, uh, his scandal-plagued son, Hunter Biden, is connected. And this is, you know, first of all, mentioning to bring down gas prices, 
uh, would be very easy for the Biden administration were they to just drop the extreme regulation and limitation on oil uh, exploration and, and development of fossil fuels. He could do that. Doesn't want to do that. Doesn't want to make it more available. And it's all, we're going to get around the second half talking about climate change, which justifies pretty much everything the left does pretty much in the world. Like every policy that is freedom crushing coming out of the American left, you can usually tie it back to climate change. And I want to talk about that in the next segment. But finishing right now on this oil thing, we have in America strategic oil reserves for the very purpose, for the very purpose of making sure in an actual emergency, an actual emergency due to war, due to, you know, due to some natural disaster, some other unforeseen circumstance, we need to tap into our oil reserves. They're there for emergencies. And Biden is producing the shortage in America's gas stations, producing the high prices, producing the oil shortage by his policies. And then to remedy that, further endangering America by releasing oil from the strategic oil reserves. And come to find out, this is done in which some of the oil being released, Biden said, by the way, when he made his statement, he said, well, one way we're helping the American people, we're releasing oil from the strategic oil reserves. And uh, which, you know, is like saying I caused a problem and now I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm causing a worse problem over here. But he said, essentially, he was releasing oil from the strategic oil reserves to help the American people, to bring the prices down for American, uh, American travelers, people who need to get you know, oil and gas and so they can move around freely and have uh, abundant energy. But he's actually transferring it and selling it to, among other people, the Chinese, uh, it's not the Chinese government, but it is a, a Chinese uh, in, uh, entity that is largely controlled by the Chinese government. And it's a Hunter Biden-affiliated entity. Tucker Carlson over the weekend said, this act alone, this act alone by Biden of deciding he is going to truly and has already done, isn't like he's contemplating, has already engaged in the sale of oil from our strategic oil reserves to China or China-affiliated interests. This is treason. I don't think that was Tucker Carlson's word. He just said this is impeachable. Yeah, it's, it's impeachable and it's treasonous. China is not our friend. I mean, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, their goals is to, is to become a single superpower of the world, they have engaged, as we've been uh, accounted for in this show many times, had experts talking about China's engaged in all sorts of policies, economic, energy-wise, expansion, everything they're doing is gearing toward the idea of China becoming the single superpower, eliminating America's place in the world as a superpower. This is what China is trying to do. And so this is a natural enemy, an obvious enemy, and yet what Biden is doing, instead of treating him like an enemy, is releasing the emergency reserves America has and, and sending them over to a China, a CCP-affiliated company. I think Tucker Carlson's right. He talked about, you know, it's, it is uh, sending our natural assets to our, our enemy China. Yeah, impeachable at least. But I want to really, you know, part of what happens every time we have this discussion um, is that the left comes back. Every time it's about energy, the left comes back and says, well, you know, but we've got to just get off the fossil fuels. The whole point, everything would be better if we just got off fossil fuels. Everything would be fixed if we could just, you know, rely on solar and wind and all sorts of other, you know, very low volume producing naturally occurring sources of energy. 
And so the Biden administration justifies, I'm sure, uh, everything they're doing. Well, we just have to end fossil fuels because, you know, they're killing the planet because climate change. And so climate change, you know, and I talk about climate change, what the left is using is this idea that man caused climate change, man induced uh, activity that man engages in inducing climate change that is deadly and threatening and destroying the planet. That is the left's argument. And I want to step back and just ask you to think about something. In most other contexts in life, you can, you know, people can say to premise, and there are some, you know, unquestionable premises. Two plus two is four. The sun is hot. I mean, there are things, you know, the earth is round. There are facts that are not in dispute among sane people. Not in dispute. So you don't have to, every time you say the earth is round, you don't have to, you know, roll the tape and show a bunch of pictures that were taken from America's space program that show the earth. You don't have to, you know, lay out a bunch of theories and equations to prove the earth is round. Everyone knows the earth is round and you can speak from and talk about issues without having to explain that premise. These are just fundamentally known facts. Earth is round, sun is hot, two plus two is four. What the left has done with respect to climate change and other issues, but we're going to hit climate change today. They've made climate change uh, not just, you know, sometimes, yes, the climate changes, of course it does, but they've made the premise that man-caused climate change is going to kill us all, is going to destroy the planet, we're all going to burn up, we're all going to die in the next 10 years. They've made climate change alarmism a norm. Like, like a norm that, you know, two plus two is four, that you don't have to prove every time you sit down, you don't have to prove two plus two is four. That's what they tried to do. Climate change alarmism, climate change, disastrous climate change, going to kill us all, is a given assumption. And in every single policy the left pushes and the New World Order people push and the EU pushes and all of these left-wing entities push, they never have to talk about, they never have to lay out the basis upon which they claim that climate change is, man-caused climate change is real and deadly. They, they have managed, or they think they have managed, to put themselves in a position that they can say climate change, and it justifies every single thing they want to do. They can say the words climate change, and, and then whatever they say after that, you have to follow. You have to salute. You have to say, oh, climate change is a problem? Well, then I'll give up my car, and I will live in a city, and I won't take my private car anymore, and I will you know, keep my temperature too hot in my home or in, in the summer and too cold in the winter, whatever you tell me. As long as it's, it's fixing climate change, I'll do it. There is a messaging from the left, and sometime I'll do a riff about this, all the different issues that the world faces, that the left justifies a solution they want by just saying climate change, climate change. And everyone goes, oh my gosh, climate change, whatever you say, just tell us what to do. The left has managed to lift the climate change, you know, extremism they're advocating as to a presumed, to the level of a presumed norm. Well, everybody knows climate change I and mean, whatever, whatever they say we have to do. Well, what's happening is, of course, at this point, the left has pushed this for so long and so far that very few people want to challenge it. And, very few, and, and the left, to be clear, will not allow challenging it. I mean, every time there's any discussion, can we sit down and have, you know, the climatologists who don't agree with the climate alarmism, who don't think the emergency is there, the left claims is, every time any climatologist, scientist, anyone serious 
challenges the left, the, you get the scoffing answer that says, we don't have to talk about that. You know, you're, you're asking us to prove two and two is four. You're asking us to prove the earth is round and, and, and the, you prove the sun is hot. We're not going to waste our time on that. They have made that leap over proof into the presumption. And what happened recently is a point of all this by Sam saying is I never got a chance on the show um, to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court decision uh, that came down recently that limited the power of the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. And the beauty of this was that what the Supreme Court was saying is that the EPA had decided, based on a limited uh, jurisdiction they had, uh, springing from the Obama-era Clean Power Act, I think it was, there was a federal statute the EPA got authority under, and they, they just went with it. EPA decided, based on one bill that Congress passed, that they could pretty much go whole hog against every single aspect, every single argument about climate change. They can regulate anything. And they got to the point of saying, the EPA, that the coal industry in, in America and the world, but I mean, America, the targeting, needed to be eliminated. They felt justified by the power they had to eliminate and to say they want to eliminate the coal industry. So what the Supreme Court decided, there were all sorts of scary headlines, all sorts of, you know, kind of similar to the scary headlines that emerged in the Dobbs case after Roe was reversed. Uh, but there were scary, scary headlines about, oh my gosh, you know, the Supreme Court says we can't, you know, we can't protect the climate anymore. Just, and what the Supreme Court really said was, if the American people are going to have an entire industry destroyed, jobs lost, this is a kind of policy decision that, involve, that needs to be in the hands of the Congress, of the elected people, so that people have some way to push back. The people have some way to say, we're going to elect members of the House and Senate who reflect what we want done, and we want that policy made by people, the energy policy regarding coal and, and, and more broadly, the whole climate change agenda, it has to be decided by elected officials. And this enrages the left because the left has, has assumed power and had grown in power over decades by taking the things they want, the agendas they want, and getting that agenda enforced against the people without ever going through the step of having representative government, as our Constitution contemplates, representative government make the decisions. It was a different case with respect to Roe versus Wade. In that case, the Supreme Court actually took back its own uh, unjustified decision, earlier decision. In the Roe instance, with respect to abortion, Supreme Court just issued the Roe versus Wade decision uh, years ago with no basis in fact, no basis in law. They just made it up because it was a policy they wanted to have. And all that happened in the Dobbs case is the Supreme Court said, actually, this decision regarding abortion legality belongs in the hands of the people, belongs in the hand of the legislature. And so they, the Supreme Court said, we're not going to dictate policy because that belongs in the legislature. In the Dobbs case, they gave away their own power. In this case, the Supreme Court said the EPA shouldn't be making these expansive, expansive, you know, country-changing, industry-destroying uh, positions without justification from Congress. It puts the decision back in the hands of the elected people. And this is what the left hates, because much what the left wants to do, they do not want to have to be bothered with silly little things like majority rule and like what do the people really want. They don't want to have to deal with that. So in this case, in the Supreme Court case I'm referring to, uh, which was last week, was West Virginia versus the EPA. 
The court was concerned with the Obama-era regulation called the Clean Power Plan. The EPA felt it had a duty to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and drew up rules that would force the states to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In the process, the agency decided that the best system of emissions reduction this is the EPA deciding this, decided the best system of emissions reduction was one that the coal industry could not survive under. Regulators used a little relied on a little-used provision of the Clean Air Act that had only ever been used to make emission reduction systems operate more, more cleanly, not to eliminate them. And the court said, you can't take that one passage from the Clean Power Plan or the uh, Clean Air Act and eliminate an entire industry. You need to have the people's voice in this. And part of why I'm saying all this is I want to get around to talking about how in this, I was talking earlier, kind of laying the groundwork to say, the left has gotten mountains of power in this world, and not just America, around the world, from the notion that no one's allowed to discuss climate change and discuss the, you know, the, the facts underlying it and discuss the, you know, the, um, real impact and the new evidence and continued information. So I'm kind of I'm moving forward into my next uh, climate change alarmist, let them eat bugs um, uh, segment of the show today. But I really want to make this really clear about climate change. If you knew something was accurate, some theory, whether it was with respect to, you know, treatments for uh, drugs or any other thing in life where you have, you can have scientific experiments and scientific proof and data to prove it, um, the, um, um, if you, I'm sorry, someone's texting me to say it's called the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Sorry, I'm saying that I was saying strategic oil. Sorry, Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Anyway, back to all of this. Um, I want to make the point that Americans should be pushing not just on a little tiny bit of a policy like let's starve the coal industry out in a shorter, in a longer time, or let's tweak this regulation, let's tweak this issue. We need to be fighting on the bigger level on the subject of the whole climate change agenda. Because the climate change agenda justifies, I, I, it's, it's almost impossible, I could not in an hour's time list the litany of, of policies, of rules, of new things we're doing, of projects we're doing, all based on accepting the left-wing climate change alarmism with no possibility to discuss climate change, no possibility to discuss whether fossil fuels are really such a big problem, whether fossil fuels are actually better than other some other forms of the of, um, renewable energy. The fossil fuels have actually lifted the world up. And so part of what's happening on the climate change thing is, uh, you know, this is Supreme Court said that here, that's really, really good. I will plant this seed and we're gonna have, um, this guy is speaking at our summit, my October 15th summit named uh, Jason Isaac from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, you ought to look him up. One of his articles linked on our show for the day, but Jason Isaac um, of the Texas Public Policy Foundation puts out information all the time. And one article is called For a Cleaner Earth, Invest in, Don't Divest from Fossil Fuels. The left has managed to make fossil fuels a bad guy. As soon as you say fossil fuels, everyone says, Oh my gosh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'll, I, instead of looking at what are the facts? What is the truth? And I'll tell you one thing he, and many, many facts he puts out, Jason Isaacs, all the time, and I mentioned this on my show before. Listen to this one fact. If the United States somehow managed to limit all carbon dioxide emissions by 2030, which the left says they want to do, eliminate all carbon dioxide emissions by 2030, a completely impossible goal, but bear with me, he says, 
global average temperatures would dip, would be reduced by less than two-tenths of a degree, less than two-tenths of a degree by 2100. So this world, your life, is going to be, and it's coming here. The reason I'm getting around this, I want to share with you what's happening uh, a little more about what's happening with the Dutch farmers, the Sri Lankan uh, people, and now there are farmers in other countries, Spain and Italy and Germany, rising up against kind of, it, it, they don't all happen to call it Green New Deal, but climate alarmism, legislation, laws, policies, and rules. There are now, because what, the proverbial rubber's meeting the road, when, when climatologists want to spew away about climate change and we're all going to die, and then, you know, and every time you look at all the predictions that have been made for the last four decades, and none of them came true, none of them came true, but still we have to get the next prediction, the next we're all going to die, and we all jump to say, what are we supposed to do? Well, it's one thing when it's a bunch of, you know, scientists debating back and forth. It's another thing with this climate change alarmism, this, this mission to end fossil fuels, a very poor decision uh, by any country, but, with the, but by which Joe Biden justifies everything he's doing, justifies everything he's doing, shutting down uh, you know, um, power pipelines, shutting down drilling, stopping new drilling, fighting against fracking. Everything Biden's doing is justified by what the left has tried to set as a, everyone understands fossil fuels are bad, we gotta fight them. There is a growing movement and scientists trying to say, you know, we don't actually have to all uh, suffer the way that the left wants us to do. And so now the rubber's meeting the road in various countries. I'm going to turn back to this um, Dutch farmer. And I can't remember, Joe, did I send you this guy's clip? I did. Okay. So what's happening right now, to be very clear, in the Netherlands. So they have, one of the leaders in the Netherlands is regularly touted, regularly praised by the World Economic Forum. This is the leader in the Netherlands, is regularly praised by, by Klaus Schwab and others, World Economic Forum, as a great leader because he understands climate change. So what he's been trying to do in the Netherlands is to crack down on cows and nitrogen level in soils. And you know, it's one thing to spew at conferences and hold international conferences and blather on and on, but now they're at the door of the farmers' homes literally in the country of, of in the Netherlands, the Dutch government, they have something in the range of 100 million cattle, swine, you know, other uh, you know, animals that are used for food, grown for food. About 100 million is the number of, of cattle, livestock they have. The Dutch government is saying that they need to reduce that. The farmers need to reduce that, those numbers, by 30%. And the farmers are saying, well, we're not going to kill our own cattle. And we're not going to destroy our own soil. We're not going to do that. And so finally what's happened in the Netherlands is because this you know, Green New Deal, climate fantasy world that Klaus Schwab and others live in has come down, rubber meets the road, to the people in Holland and, and, and the Dutch people saying, you got to be kidding, you're crazy. We're not doing that. We're not killing our own cattle. So this protest, I played a little bit last week, but this farmer's protest, you have tractors. Actually, they had tractors surrounding surrounding the, um, the, cap, the um, government, the parliament, just saying, we're not doing all this. We're not doing this climate extremism. And, and you've got to understand, when you're a climate, you know, uh, you know you're, you're a climate, true climate, you know, it's, it's your religion, practically. This climate change is practically your religion. 
you are so deeply immersed in it, and you think you're so into, well, you're so smart, and you're with the world's smartest people. You're with Bill Gates and, and Klaus Schwab and all these other leaders who recognize climate change is so bad, and you, you're on a path to save the world. That's how you see yourself. That's how this guy, the leader, uh, the, the Netherlands leader, sees himself. But right now it's happening is the farmers won't work. The shelves in the grocery stores are getting empty. And you'll hear this guy, I actually had a really long clip, and I hope I picked the right part, but one thing he said was not in there was that the people are right with the protesters. I mean, the, the protesters are using tractors, blocking streets, surrounding the Capitol, doing everything they can think of to say to the government, stop with this ridiculous climate change lunacy. Stop. We're going to be, and we don't want to eat bugs. That's part of what they're getting at is, if you're going to eliminate all this cattle, and, and they eventually want to have, you know, all the meat substitutes and eat bugs. They're good. They're actually, they now have in Canada a, a manufacturing plant to make edible bugs. Like they, they catch bugs and whatever they do and make them into edible food. And I, what is really, is, is finally, well, I, I love this because the whole climate change agenda, I've talked about it for a long time, but it was always kind of abstract. But now it's rubber meat road. People are saying, wait a minute, you mean we actually can't have our cattle and you're actually going to take away our, I, I don't think so. So this is a clip by one farmer. He's a spokesman for some of the farmers protesting there. If they're going to do everything that they want, if they want to go to the goal, they're going to reduce 50% of the farmers here in Holland. And that's not only that's only the farming, mm. but the truck drivers is going to come down, uh, industry is coming come down, mechanics is going to come down, everything is going down. At the same time, people are aware that uh, the climate is the climate is changing, and that we need to step up our collective efforts to make sure that we uh, counter that. And the reason I wanted to play that was happening. This is a, as I mentioned earlier, this, this, what you just saw is one little gentleman, one little, one great gentleman, leader, uh, a farmer who's trying to speak on behalf of the farmers and why they're so upset. But you're starting to see, and you know what else is interesting? I'm going to ask you if you're listening to the show, what other outlets are reporting on this? I mean, do you see these stories in CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN, all the left wing, you know, uh, outlets that, that just are echo chambers for the left wing agenda? But they're actually protests by farmers, Germany also, Germany, Italy, Spain, tractors showing up on the, on the you know, regular streets where cars are supposed to be, tractors showing up and just basically saying, we're not going to comply with this lunatic climate change agenda, destroy our farms, destroy our property, destroy our cattle, and all live on as the World Economic Forum is pushing the idea you're going to live on artificial meat and bugs. And so let me just uh, tell you some of the things that are going on here. This is intentional curtailing of food production. It's a purposeful shortage of food. That is what these climate change loonies are creating for the world, a purposeful shortage of food. Bill Gates, World Economic Forum, the synthetic meat and bugs for food advocates are, are all part of this. They enter the picture and they seem to want the idea, replace the missing global calories by changing food supply, change what and how people eat. These are these people, I use the expression, the, the meisters of the universe, the masters of the universe, the people who think they're so much smarter than everybody else and all, and, and, and so they can decide you know, how much farming should happen, uh, who gets to farm, how many, you know, do we really need meat? Can we all live on meat substitutes? And all of this, all of this is driven by the, the untouchable, undiscussable, never to be debated, never to be debated climate change theory.
and the underlying notion that fossil fuels are dangerous and destroying the world, destroying the planet. And when you are the left, and these are your, it's like climate change is like, it's like a tool. You know, like you would have a hammer to bang in a nail if you're building a house. Climate change is a tool in the hands of Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum, all sorts of leftists, to say, you're going to do exactly what we want. We're in charge. We decide what you can eat. We decide whether you can have, how much farmland you can have, how many cows you can have. You have no more freedom. And this is happening in the countries I mentioned, and not just in Holland, but happening in Italy, Spain, Germany, protests, farmers protesting in the streets saying, okay, we've gone beyond, you know, there's loopy climate change stuff into now you're trying to destroy our food supply. You know, someone sent me a little clip and I didn't get a chance to print it out, but you know, Bill Gates continues to buy up farmland in America. And it's not because he's interested in going into corn harvesting or any other product. It's not what he's thinking about. His entire agenda, his entire agenda is about participating in this. And, and one more thing on that note, I'm, I'm repeating something I said earlier, but it really matters to think about this. A lot of people in America who don't read a lot and who don't want to research and only listen to what the New York Times tells them, they are, and, and this is AOC is a good example, Alexander Costa Cortez, so far, far down in the pits of ignorance that they read New York Times and, and other left wing outlets. And they think that climate change emergency, the climate change emergency, is as real as saying the sun is hot. It's as real as saying the earth is round. Like, you can never question it. And so you, if you've gotten that as a premise, then, and it's dangerous, and you're just waiting to have the next extremely frightening prediction made about how long you have to live, you would do anything you're told. Well, there are some people who are just innocently ignorant and, and in that pit of ignorance, and they just, they've gotten so lathered into a, just a, a ball of fear, they can't even function. They can't function, they can't think about and, and allow the idea that questioning is occurring by actual climatologists who are saying we don't have a climate emergency. Yes, we always take care of our planet. And yes, we always make sure that we have you know, clean water and clean air. And we try to take care of our planet. And yes, it's a great thing to plant trees and all that kind of good stuff. You, there, are, you know, there are plenty of people who understand, you know, yeah, you want to, and everyone thinks this, you want to take care of the planet. But the left has managed to make this that not only must you accept their agenda, Whatever they, whatever they want to do and they already wanted to do before the climate change tool was created, climate change tool just gives them capacity to say to people, you have to do exactly what, we, what we're saying. You have to, or we're all going to die. And, and you're mean and you're selfish and the evil oil companies. Do you ever think how stupid that is? The oil companies themselves employ human beings who actually have children and grandchildren and hope to have America continue in posterity for a long time. They, I mean, the, the ability of the left to just, you know, squint their eyes and go, well, it's climate change, evil oil companies, and you get some swath of Americans unable to think beyond that. Oh my gosh, oil companies and they're committing climate change. Let's just, and you, you have these protesters outside oil companies, outside courts, waving signs, and oil now, ban all oil. As though, I mean, this makes no sense in, in the world of facts. But this is how far the left has managed to manipulate people into hysteria, fear, and flat out stupidity. And as I say, when they can do that in the abstract, 
It works when it gets down to, for some people, when it gets down to, but now you can't have your farm and we're going to take away your cattle, we're going to destroy your land, and we're going to make you so you can't buy meat anymore, you're going to start eating bugs, then people are going to wake up and say, wait a minute, what was the science again behind this? What is the reason we have to eat bugs now? You know, I used to like hamburgers. I really like sausage or whatever. I like steak. I mean, the idea that the human freedom, human freedom is being placed on, uh, you know, just, just kind of on, uh, on the table and the left is saying, yeah, we're going to crush it all and you're going to let us do it under the guise of climate change. It's the same thing the World Economic Forum guy, uh, Klaus Schwab, had to say COVID was another tool. Like a hammer is a tool and hammers in a nail. Climate change is a tool and COVID policy and COVID fear is a tool left uses to take control of things they always wanted to control anyway. So back to what's happening. You have protesters. In fact, the same thing is happening in Sri Lanka, uh, the country of Sri Lanka. I, I, today was a bit of a rush. I didn't get these pictures to Joe, but in the country of Sri Lanka, They've literally overthrown the government now. The people, they have shortages. And, and some of the you know, uh, intellectuals trying to explain the problem are saying, well, it's not. It, it's really a, it's a financial problem. Uh, Sri Lanka didn't fund their, their debt correctly, and they tried to pay it back when they should have done something else. And so there's a little bit of poverty there. Now, Sri Lanka is also part of this, suffering from the Green New Deal, radical left-wing climate change agenda, and the people get there, like everywhere else, are saying, wait a minute, we're not going to die for this. We're not going to give you our lives. We're not going to surrender. So Sri Lanka now has the people actually surrounded the royal palace. They drove out, I think it was the prime minister they drove out, and the president's trying to hang on. Uh, hang on. And, um, you know, this is just a, uh, it, it's, a, it's an uprising for freedom, if you see it in the right way. It's an uprising for freedom. Uh, people are just saying, you know, actually, we've gotten to the point we have to eat bugs. No. No, we're not doing this. And I think also the Supreme Court decision putting the issue back about climate change into the hands of Congress and forcing Congress to have to face their voters and say, yeah, actually, we're pretty much making it impossible for you uh, to live your life normally, to eat your normal food, uh, to have your jobs, to travel normally, to travel with reasonable gas prices. Uh, those, that, that's a... Um, you know, it's a very healthy thing for America, a very healthy thing for the whole climate change agenda. I want to tell you, that I'm trying to get a guy named Michael Schellenberger. He's been on the show one time before, uh, and he was one of the founders of one of the real, the original, uh, either Greenpeace or one of the other really radical leftist uh, climate agenda uh, organizations. He was a founder of that. And then he uh, began reading science, of all things, instead of just alarmism. And he's now an author, and he's writing about, you know, climate change is being used to take away your freedom. It's being used to manipulate you so you don't, so you just surrender whatever freedom you had because you're fearful about climate change. So Michael Schellenberger, he actually was a candidate, a GOP candidate for a governor in California, um, and they had their primary in June. So I'm reaching out to him again, trying to get him on the show again. Uh, but there, I'm raising him in particular to say there are many people who used to be, you know, climate change was their gospel, was their religion who've now realized, actually, it, it, as massive as the movement is, and as much as the left has tried to make it a, you know, a um, just cannot ever be questioned ever again, you know, fact, radical climate change, world's going to end, we're all going to die. Uh, these are actual people with more information, more knowledge, uh, who are saying, you know, it's not true. We can, we can back off from this. And the climate agenda, along with the COVID agenda, COVID fear agenda, is much of what's driving the World Economic Forum's 
apparent current success in bringing more and more people behind them to um, support what they're doing. So I'm um, talking to Schellenberger on the show. Um, I'm going to mention we have a few more minutes here left before we go to why it matters to you. I want to mention a couple other things. Um, one is that Thursday on this show, um, my Thursday show is unique and special. We have a Thursday show in a, a larger studio, and we have an in-studio audience. And this week, Sidney Powell is joining us. Sidney Powell was the um, very famous attorney um, who basically got Lieutenant General Michael Flynn off from the completely cooked up charges uh, based on the, the Department of Justice went after him for no reason. Um, but he, she, um, and she's also in her own right a famous attorney. She's a, uh, an appellate star. She uh, wrote License to Lie. That's when I first met her years ago. I interviewed her when she wrote License to Lie. But she is continuing the fight. She's representing some of the January 6th defendants. She puts out a regular posting. Um, and so it, she's just a, a, a really serious, conscientious attorney committed to the principles of, principles of America, very willing to point out uh, everything that's occurring in America, especially as it relates to the January 6th trials. Um, and she, so she's a, um, really going to be a great show on Thursday, so do mark your calendar for that. Uh, tomorrow I have someone joining me named Sari, S-A-R-I. She's here from Israel to talk about her appointment from the Israeli government to run a group there that is trying to spread understanding and correct information about the Holocaust and to understand really uh, how it came to be and how we can fight it in the future and how uh, fight that kind of hatred in the future. Um, and she is uh, part of the mission to have Christian uh, groups in America, Christian churches and, and denominations uh, lock arms with the Jewish people who are trying to spread this message, be part of spreading the message um, of the protection of the Jewish people. So she's on tomorrow. Uh, one last thing to tell you, but the summit is October 15th um, in Dallas. It is just an extraordinary summit. I'm, I don't have time, I think, today to tell you about it, but tomorrow I'll tell you more about it. Mark your calendar. The tickets are now on sale at americacanbetalk.org. The last quick thing I want to hit before we go to why it matters to you is this. So one of my topics I talk about all the time is election fraud, and there was a, a decision out of the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, which basically said that the ballot drop boxes, which the, the Mark Zuckerberg, you know, left-wing agenda, you know, how to steal an election ballot boxes that were, by the way, very prominently featured uh, in uh, the Dinesh D'Souza film, 2000 Mules, um, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin ruled those ballot boxes are unconstitutional, simply not permitted under Wisconsin law, and therefore cannot be used. And this is a great thing. It's really too bad that that issue didn't get to the Supreme Court prior to the 2000 election, but it's a, it's a great decision. It's another kind of blow at the left's endless effort to steal elections. Uh, that, you know, ballot box thing. If you if you haven't seen uh, 2000 Mules, you really, really should. Extraordinary movie. Uh, it's a um, Dinesh D'Souza Dinesh D'Souza documentary, um, just just extraordinary in its depth and substance, and uh, based on the information provided by Catherine Engelbrecht and True the Vote, she was on the show a few weeks ago uh, talking about the research they did, and says much more is coming. And I will tell you, last night I was at a function and talking to someone who's heavily immersed. Um, and working with people trying to expose election fraud, and she was just saying, oh, much more is coming out. I mean, much more will be coming soon. So, um, and I will be right on top of that. Because I have to tell you, folks, if two-thirds of America actually wanted Biden and socialist policies, then that would be what our Constitution, if you actually had fair elections, and that would, is what America chose, then 
the, the uh, role, the job of people like me who believe in the Constitution, individual limited government, uh, the Federalist idea, you know, the rights in the Constitution, everything I, I believe in America is founded, then my job, if two-thirds of America actually chose Biden, my job would be to try to convince Americans that there's a better way than falling, going the cliff to socialism, which is where Biden is taking us. But if the election of, 2000 was sto- of 2020 was stolen, as I am completely sure that it was, the election of, of 2020, 2020 was stolen, then the agenda of patriots who love America is to speak up and try to get that word out, to not just let it go and say, don't worry, guys, we'll get them next time, but to expose it because the damage being done to America by the Biden administration is almost incalculable. Anyway, so Wisconsin said no ballot boxes. There's more of that story. Uh, basically, one of the dissent, uh, there was a dissent in that case. The case was Tigan versus Wisconsin Elections Commission. Uh, but there was a dissent in that case that was basically pointing out a relatively small flaw in the court's decision, which said essentially that the court should have made very clear that no, no deviations can be made by the election commission from the process set up by the elected legislatures in the state of Wisconsin. And that was apparently not clear enough in the decision that it sounded like, okay, this time the commissioner shouldn't have allowed the boxes, and so the boxes aren't allowed but didn't go far enough to say, and by the way, um, the commissioner only has the authority to enforce the law, does not have the authority to, um, uh, to, um, to make policies like that. Okay, so we are at the point of the show where we do every uh, day, and I wanna, I've got to find it. We, this was an incredibly, um, oh my goodness, okay, an incredibly uh, slow. Oh, 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 you know what else I had on here? Um, can you quick put up that tweet, that series of tweets by Elon Musk? Joe? Okay. I found these completely hilarious. So Elon Musk um, is laughing about the idea. You saw, I'm sure, that um, he tried to buy Twitter. Um, he tried to get the what he's supposed to be able to get, which is the um, you know, due diligence. They wouldn't give it to him, so he's not getting the information he's supposed to have. Um, and so, And he's been demanding it. And, and couldn't get it. So he's, he's a series of tweets. Uh, they said I couldn't buy Twitter, which they did try to say first. Then they wouldn't disclose uh, their info, the bot info. He says, now they want to force me uh, to uh, buy Twitter um, and court. And so now they're forced in court to release a bot information they wouldn't give him. So I was going to say on this whole thing, I know Elon Musk announced he's not going to buy Twitter. The deal's off. I don't think so. I think he'll buy Twitter, and I think it's been a much reduced price, and I think that Twitter has been totally exposed as having massive number of non-existent uh, Twitter users, and bo- uh, also known as bots, and just made-up stuff. Um, and so he'll probably get a better deal on it. I think the deal will still go through, but we'll see. Okay, we close out the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started... Um, Abe's mission and assassination, Shinzo Abe assassination, a deep culture shock in homogenous, low-violence Japan. Abe was a model of nationalist conservative, simpatico with Trump, pro-Japan, anti-submersion of Japanese identity into globalism, anti-alarmism about climate change. So he's a threefer, made the left man. So far, little evidence suggesting assassination was an organized, multi-party operation. Confessed assassin appears weirdly, mistakenly motivated as to Abe's impact on his family. Yeah, the assassin thought that Abe was part of some religion that his mother, the assassin's mother, you know, gave all her money to or something. He just was 
Uh, maybe not mentally well, I don't know. But on a period, there's no proof yet there was a political motivation. Tragic for Japan and the world, a solid, still popular leader, but Abe's political party and policies appear to be gaining even stronger support. By the way, they had elections yesterday in Japan. Abe's party won big time, hands down, has majority control. Uh, many people attribute, partly at least, to... Um, to Abe's assassination, just like MAGA in America. Biden sells America's precious strategic oil reserve to China. America facing rising gas prices, Biden or his release of the strategic petroleum reserve to alleviate supply concerns, but sells 5 million barrels of USA reserves to Europe and Asia, including nearly 1 million to China. China buyer has links to Biden. Tucker Carlson called out correctly. This is treason and it's impeachable. The American people are watching treasonous behavior by the installed president, they're watching a ruling class that appears to be doing nothing about it. This is why the American people are the only answer. They must rise up. And climate change alarmists, let them eat bugs. Dutch farmers are bringing clarity to the world. Climate change regulation is a tool of a globalist reset into totalitarianism. Food shortages are an intended result. You will eat bugs if the globalists get their way. It's time for real scientists to call BS on the entire climate change hysteria. Decades of catastrophic predictions that have not come true. Monstrous upheaval in living standards around the world being driven by alarmism for minuscule projected temperature change. What's really not sustainable is government by hysteria. Time to rethink, reanalyze, and pull back from the entry of climate alarm for the entirety of climate alarmism. Regulating the world into financial and social collapse based on a fraud, it must stop. And in Wisconsin Supreme Court, ballot boxes are unconstitutional. Wisconsin, perhaps unwittingly, is moving toward decertification of the 2020 election. Wisconsin Supreme Court decided the use of ballot drop boxes is illegal and unconstitutional. Their use undermines citizens' trust in the outcome of elections. Already established proof in Wisconsin that the number of ballots cast processed through illegal drop boxes far exceeded Biden's margin of alleged victory. Other overwhelming evidence of massive voter registration fraud also in Wisconsin. Former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Gableman is onto the fraud and is not backing off and de on demands that Wisconsin legislature act to decertify. If that should happen, a domino effect about to be initiated, you can only hope. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can you hear us now? America, can we talk truth about America? Can you